Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, depending where you are in the world and what time it is when you're watching this edition or listening to this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. Because obviously, you may be on one of the audio podcast platforms. In any event, whether you're on the video platform or audio platform below this video or the speaker symbol, will be various web links. They will be my guests today's websites and social media platforms where you can go and find out more about her courses and uh, book and basically everything else that she offers so they're there and i do encourage you to go and she's got a, a free gift you can download so you can put your email in download that and then get updates and all that kind of stuff but she'll tell you more about them as well later on she is the author of a book called the devil's therapy uh, subtitled hypnosis practitioners essential guide to effective regression hypnotherapy um she's done more courses than soft make with the industry. So I'm not going to list them all because we only have a limited time of, uh, for the show. I will let Wendy give you the overview. Uh, that's the clue. Her first name, if you don't know, here she is joining us on the show, the author of that book, Wendy Weber. How are you doing, Wendy? I'm well, and thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on, especially as I'm known to kind of ask tough questions that other people sometimes won't um so i really respect you for that so let's start at the beginning there was a time when you weren't a regression therapist there was a time when you weren't a hypnotherapist there was a time when you weren't a therapist full stop what was your journey that led you into all this and got you to where you are now wendy oh goodness how far back do you want me to go <laughs> well wherever you think's important well, um, I, I guess I, I, I'll go back to the 80s, the 1980s. I, um, I, I went, uh, um, I, I was going through a, a sort of a transition in my life, going through a divorce and, you know, trying to find my way in life. And um, I started reading books, like lots and lots of books on personal development. And um, I, I, in order to get the books that I was interested in, I had to go out of town. Um, and so I was going on these pilgrimages and I would fill up the trunk of my car with books and then I'd read them and then I'd go on another pilgrimage and I'd fill up the trunk of my car again with more books. And one day I said to my, to my husband, you know, somebody should open up a, like a spiritual bookstore in Nanaimo. And he looked at me and said, somebody. <laughs> And so um, that was kind of the challenge. And so that's what I did. I sold my house and I, I basically took the, uh, the proceeds of my, uh, you know, the equity that I had in my house and I, I invested it in starting a bookstore. And it was a small bookstore. I mean, I actually tested the market out a little bit to begin with. I know you're into marketing, so you'll like this. You know, um, I, I, I didn't have a clue. I knew nothing about marketing. All I knew was that I need, needed to connect with people. And uh, so what I did was I started a newsletter and I started connecting with different people and having them share their views. And I would share, you know, oh, I'm reading this book or, or uh, yeah, I found this new, you know, product or whatever. And um, <laughs> funny thing is that newsletter i i continued that for about um I don't know, eight or nine years publishing that. And eventually it got to be too much for me. And uh, someone took it over and turned it into a magazine. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's just started out as this little newsletter, but it was I was like list building. You know, we didn't even have that term back in the in the eighties. But I was I was building a database of people who were kind of into the same stuff that I was into. And so eventually, I opened up a bookstore, and uh, it became the hub of the healing community. And it wasn't just where I live, which is on Vancouver Island, a little town called Nanaimo, um, it, people were coming over from the big smoke, Vancouver, and they were coming from Victoria and from all over the place. I had people come up from Seattle that had heard about this little bookstore in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, um, you know, we had celebrities come in, book authors and what have you. And it, it was just really a kind of a, um, a wonderful cocoon for my own personal development. And then I got to the point where it was kind of like business just got to be too much and I needed to not be doing that anymore and so uh, I sold the bookstore and I kind of took a sabbatical to catch up on my reading for a couple of years and um, during this period of time I I was reading this book you know when you when you when you're a voracious book reader you don't read books more than once but I had this book that I was on my third reading of it and honestly, I, I couldn't tell you what it was about it that had that was calling to me. I just kept reading it and I, it was so interesting. And the name of the book was The Healing Power of Illness by Thorwald Deathlesson. And this book has been published and republished for decades. It's in 25 different languages. And uh, uh, so one day I'm standing in my dining room under the skylight, you know, the way I remember it now was this beam of light came down and hit me on the forehead. But I was I was kind of setting the book down and suddenly it dawned on me that this that everything that was in this book about healing and healing consciousness and healing with the mind was all based in research that had been done in re regression sessions. And and I thought to myself, regression? Isn't that hypnosis? Honestly, I knew nothing about hypnosis. I like for eight years I've been running this bookstore. I sold Dick Sutphin stuff. I did not know that was hypnosis. I, uh -huh. I just it wasn't on my radar. So you know I'm not one of your guests that says, oh, you know, since I was knee high to a grasshopper, you know, I've been practicing hypnosis. Well, that's I, a refreshing change, Wendy. <laughs> Yeah, I've never been interested in the hypnosis. I, I'm still not. I don't, you know, hypnosis to me is... <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Oh. Well, the thing is, from a therapeutic perspective, it's the least important part of the process. You know, that we want, for you, we want to, we're change makers. We want to create a change. And so the I'll hypnosis... I'll warn you, I'll pull you up on that later. I'm just <laughs> making a note here. Hypnosis is the least important part. Okay, I've made that note. I'll come back to that later. Continue, please, Wendy. Okay. I did not say that it's unimportant. I just say that it's the least important element in the healing process. Well, sorry, we'll deal with it now. Okay. Um, I actually would strongly disagree there. Some of this I'll be playing devil's advocate. Some I won't. But, you know, viewers at home, listeners at home, you decide for yourself. That way I'm not influencing anything because this is about Wendy's responses and insights. Um I would disagree if somebody has specifically gone on a search to find a hypnotherapist, let's say, because they've seen a feature on hypnotherapy on TV. I'm, I'm putting a specific context on here, here, a specific frame, so that their belief systems and expectations are already geared towards hypnotherapy is my solution. And if they've somehow got that misconceived idea that hypnosis is going to be that zombie state and they'll be out of it, 
I would say the most important thing any therapist can do is make that individual feel like they've had the zombie state magic one thing because then they'll get the solution they want because ultimately there's nothing we yep. do as therapists that the individual couldn't have done themselves. Yep. No, I agree with you. A, a, a very one of, one of the key elements of the devil's therapy is the educational pre-talk. Um, we need to educate our, our clients about, about the process because when a person is coming to a hypnotherapist, um, they're coming for hypnosis. And uh, so we need to educate them about what hypnosis is and what it is not because most people have misconceptions about it. You know, they see stage hypnosis and they think that's what's going to happen. And so we need to, we need to really be clear about so that. Does that, mean and, and, you, does that mean you waste time telling them it's not like stage hypnosis if they think it is? Um, I usually talk about stage hypnosis to, to clients. Yeah, I do because I, you know, because they don't, usually they won't mention it. And so I'll say, you know, most people think that hypnosis is like stage hypnotism and they'll go, yeah, I was, I was wondering about that. And so I will just tell them how it's different. Why, well, but it isn't different. You see, I do, I've done stage hypnosis for 30 years. And I've done hypnotherapy for 31. And there is no difference. Hypnosis is hypnosis when it's done right. The only difference is how you use it. You're making, giving people permission to make a fool of themselves or you're giving people permission to make those changes that could have always done themselves. But if they did it themselves, then they'd have to admit that really they could have done it a hell of a lot sooner whereas a therapist yeah can give them that permission to offload all the self-blame yeah. yes we're, we're on the same page as well you know i just uh, because people see stage hypnotism and they and they think that's hypnosis and so i make a distinction i say look a stage hypnosis is for the purposes of entertainment and i've seen good hypnosis shows and i've seen really terrible hypnosis shows but the best ones are where the hypnotist finds within a person a talent removes their inhibition and allows them to express something that's within them that they didn't realize that they have this capacity within them so the hypnosis is not different but the application is therapeutic hypnosis is for the purposes of healing it's for the purposes of uh you know correcting some some issue that specifically the client wants but the state is the same we can say the same thing about meditation as well. You know, is there a difference between meditation and hypnosis? Well, the state is the same, but it's used differently. Hypnosis tends to be more of a, a um, an active use of the state, whereas meditation is more of a, a passive state. Okay, so, um, sorry, I interrupted you. Rather than leaving it till later, we dealt with <laughs> that. Um, so, yeah, you... you you were reading that book and it led you to start looking into. Yeah, yeah, that, that was my I call that my V8 moment. If you remember those ads back in the back in the day, you know, wow, I could have had a V8. And it was that moment where I went hypnosis, you know, regression isn't that hypnosis. And so within, I don't know, just a, a month, I was signed up for my first hypnosis um, uh, certification. Uh, and so that was in 2000. And then I just kept going because my first, because I was not interested in the hypnosis. And that's all I got in, in the certification course that I attended. They, in fact, what I was taught was, oh, regression, don't go there. And uh, it was, but yeah, but that's really. Why didn't, why, why didn't you listen to them? Why didn't I listen to them? I, I know you, were, you got interested from the book about the idea of regression therapy. 
um, yeah. and, it, and it, its involvement with hypnosis, so hence you ended up on a course. <laughs> well, the course you ended up on went, oh, don't go there. Now, they must have had yeah. reasons for saying that to you. Yeah. Why didn't you listen to them? Because a group of students got together one night with a bowl of popcorn and a video. Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, one of the girls said, oh, you got to see this guy. Hey, he, he, you know, he's he's he does a, a hypnosis session. You got to see this video. And like I had never actually seen a, a hypnotherapy session the, 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 in my whole training. I'd never actually seen one. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, was it was not a good it was not a good certification. Oh. Um, and so we sat down and here was this guy and he did like a rapid induction and he did a rapid regression and uh, and he was amazing. He just blew my socks off. And I said to myself, that's what I want to be able to do. <laughs> and that man was Gerald Kine. And okay. so within a few weeks, I was uh, I had. Um, uh, committed to the uh, the Omni Basic to Advanced training, and I got that foundation for effective regression hypnotherapy. And I just kept going after that. Once I had a taste of that, it was kind of like I was a junkie. Okay, so where did the path go from there? That's how you started, but obviously that's how I started. Yeah, there is still more stuff. I know there is before you get to the point yeah. you end up launching a book on the world and stuff. Yeah, well, you know, I bought a lot of distance training stuff. Um, uh, I and I, but live courses. I I did alchemical hypnotherapy with da David Quigley, which is a more spiritual approach to uh, therapeutic hypnosis, and uh, I particularly liked that because um, because the emphasis was working with parts, and uh, and that was kind of home turf for me because I've been I've been uh, a dream worker for about thirty five years, mm -hmm. and uh, and my approach is Perlian, so that's working with parts. So that really uh, um, was was an interesting journey for me, and uh, and then I also at some point I did a, tr a live training, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, with Stephen Parkhill uh, in Florida, and I I actually I volunteered to be the demo unit for the class, and he said to me. Um, uh, well, I, I asked him, I said, would it be possible for me to have a session with you? And uh, he said, no, I don't I don't have to, I don't do that when I'm teaching. And, and he says, but if you'd want to be the demo unit for the class, I says, I'm your girl. So uh, so I did. And the interesting thing is, is about three days before I got on the plane, I developed a breast lump. Okay. And uh, of course, I didn't have time to see a doctor or anything like that, but it was visible. It was about half the size of my pinky nail, the fingernail on my pinky finger. And um, and so when I when I got to Florida, I was ripe and ready for for a real regression session. And this, in fact, was my first first experience of regression as well. You know, <laughs> why not go to the top? Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, <clears throat> so when he began the demonstration, he said, OK, well, I'm going to do a brief intake here. And he started asking me questions. And about halfway through the questions, he went, OK, rolls his chair back and he says, how much of what you're telling me is true? And I said, it's all true, except I haven't seen a doctor. And he turns and he looks at the class and he rolls his eyes and he says, well, folks, it looks like we're going live. 
And so that's what happened. I had this breakneck, breathtaking regression to cause, bouncing back, boom, found the cause of the problem, resolved it. Uh, at the end of the session, I was gonzoed. I mean, I couldn't think straight. It was it was unbelievable. And uh, in fact, a wonderful couple that were taking the course, they they saw me and they said, come with us. And they piled me into their car and took me down to the beach. And I just sat there and just looked at the waves coming in and out because I just needed to reboot. <clears throat> so the the uh, what what Stephen said to me was, he said, well, you know, we only had this one session and, you know, and uh, the, this is <laughs> the we're not proponents of a one session miracle. He says, but that's all we're going to get. And he says, I don't know if we got everything. So, uh, you know, either either, it, you know, it, you're going to need some more work or that, you know, it'll just dissolve and disappear on its own over the next several days or weeks or whatever. So, you know, just let me know. And I said, OK, I will. Well, the next day the lump was half the size that it was. And by the end of the week, it was gone completely. I wasn't able to get in to see a doctor for a couple of weeks and he ran a battery test and there was nothing. And he says, oh, why, you know, why are you asking about this? And, and so I told him this story and he leans back and he looks at me, he goes, you know, I always thought I'd like to study hypnosis when I retire. <laughs> It's such a shame that you hadn't been to a doctor's in advance because playing devil's advocate, there are completely natural reasons why you could develop a, a lump in your breast that a couple of days later has gone of its own accord naturally. Absolutely. But, if, but women listening or watching don't automatically assume that it's a natural cause. Take sure. it as a signal to go yep. to the doctors, obviously. Yep. Correlation yeah. does not equal causation. However... Here's the interesting piece for me. Um, <clears throat> the regression had taken me back to a number of events. Um, and in hindsight, they make sense. Um, but the causal event, the ISE, was just prior to being born. And honestly, it was not very clear to me. I was flooded with these emotions, flooded with this tremendous fear, this apprehension. and. Um, and I, I couldn't really figure out where it was coming from. Um, all I had a sense of is that my mom had two, uh, two children already. And they were, when I was born, they would be eight and 10 years old. And so I knew that she had these other kids and it had something to do with that, but I didn't know what. So I didn't have all the answers. So when I came home, I sat down with my mom and I said, well, I had this experience. And my mom couldn't even remember me being born because, you know, she had four kids and it was a while back. So she says, I don't know. I don't remember anything. She says, all my births were easy. I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, I just had this sense that it had to do with these these other kids. And she went, well, you know, there is one thing. Well, apparently when my mom was pregnant with me, she went to a doctor and was diagnosed with um rheumatoid arthritis okay so picture this you've got the doctor in the white lab coat with the certificates on the wall behind him and he says to my mom if you have this baby it could put you in a wheelchair for the rest of your life yeah great suggestion not 
So mm. while she was, and in that moment, and she says, but I never, I, she says, I immediately said to myself, that's not going to happen. But you know that that authority, that suggestion got in before she had the time to think that, to, to counter it. So it got mm. in. And so my understanding from, from you know, in, re, in hindsight is that that was the fear. That was her unconscious fear, that physiological, the hormones of fear that I was feeling. It wasn't about her giving birth. It was about being stuck in a wheelchair and having all these children to look after. So it made total sense to me. Uh, well, that was certainly put you in a stress, anxious, well, negative state, <laughs> to put it in short, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking about the best way. Oh, shall I cut to the chase? Have I been gentle enough now? Shall we ask the questions that some people will be thinking? Uh, go on, I dare you to ask, Jonathan. Will he have the balls to ask this? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'll just, I'll just briefly explain more for viewers and listeners so that they don't think I'm just like randomly plucking some of these questions out of the air. But when I started out back in 1989, uh, amongst other trainings I did was one where I studied the works of a gentleman called Neil French, who uh, was the author of a book called Successful Hypnotherapy. Long out of print, but if you can track it down on the second-hand market, he set up the International Association of Hypnoanalysts, which ultimately analytical hypnotherapy is regression to cause. What I'm saying is I did for a number of years actually do regression to cause hypnosis until sorry for the people this upsets until i learned better and decided that well not just decided but also discovered and then found through experience that i could get the same results without having to mind rate people and take them back to traumatic experiences um that quite possibly weren't even completely true anyway because of reconstructive memory or false memory syndrome. So, let's deal with those elephants in the room. Regression to cause is the idea of finding the root cause, the um, initial sensitizing event, or some would call it the original focal point or trigger, that then manifests itself in whatever symptoms. That could be a habit, addiction, fear, phobia, it could be post-traumatic stress, it can be anything, but it becomes an external, symptom or symptoms that as an underlying root cause is the philosophy behind it that was popularized by sick mind fraud in the 1890s and the idea is through various techniques one of which may be free association in freud's case but there's other ways of directing people to go back and back till they find the initial sensitizing event and through re-experiencing that, uh, more often than not, they will have a catharsis moment, an emotional release that will also release any negative connections with that to enable, therefore, because that's removed, it's like knocking one of the bits out of the bottom of a Jenga tower, the whole thing comes crumbling down so that the symptoms disappear and the person can get on with the life. All great in theory, and the outcome, the end result, fine if you get the end result which it does there's no questioning that i'm not going to question it because i saw it for several years with um thousands of clients that it does get the end result so i'm not questioning that what i'm questioning is is well let's start with part one part one 
Do you not just accept the fact that ultimately what they remember as being their initial sensitizing event, they may truly believe it is, but you know what? The weight of scientific evidence shows that something that happened a week ago, if it was videoed at the time, and we never saw that video, but were then asked to recall it, our memory, kind of reconstructed memory, will be very different than what actually took place. There's that element, reconstructed memory. There's also false memory syndrome, which massively in the 90s worldwide, because of massive sexual abuse uh, inquiries in England, Europe and other places in the world, was shown that because of this belief in regression to cause um, and that the, the memories would be real. Well, no, it was shown that the evidence proved that the vast majority of it was fabricated memories that the person came to believe because the therapist told them that was the case. Come address those two elephants, if you would be so kind. Why, when that is such a large part, undeniably, there is reconstructed memory and false memory syndrome, why would you even bother to carry on doing regression to cause therapy when there are far more reliable ways of avoiding reconstructive or false memory syndrome? Well, <clears throat> all memory is false. The, the purpose of, of uh, effective training is to avoid the creation of false memories. And research and memory reconsolidation, you're absolutely uh, correct that every time we review a past event, it changes it because we're taking our current consciousness and we are reinterpreting the event that occurred in the past. And this alters it. That's all we do in regression. We take the adult consciousness and we take it back into a childhood event and we we, we allow the client to reinterpret that event. Often there's misconceptions because the child doesn't have the, 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 the wisdom, the, you know, the maturity to be able to interpret its environment. And so small things can be very traumatic for, for very small people. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're essentially doing what we do naturally. The, the, we just take the adult consciousness back, reinterpret the event, and this this is working with the natural processes of the mind in the first place. But it's it's so the idea the, the whole idea of the false memory came about with a what was it the the um what was it they called the McMasters or the McNaughtons or something like that? It was that that the whole um, um, uh, legal event that took place, and they brought in psychologists who were interviewing children, and they were giving they were holding up anatomically correct uh, dolls, and they were saying to the children, you know, did this happen, and did they do this and that, and they were they were giving suggestions direct suggestions to highly uh, impressionable minds and they were creating false memories. And so that was the, that was the ginormous case ab around false memories. So it's important to understand that regression hypnotherapy is not forensic. We're not, we're not going back to find the truth of what happened. We're going back to find out how the interpretation uh, of the impressions of that event are still impacting the person now. 
And the reason that we want to do that is because the conscious mind doesn't have access to all the information. You can go back to a consciously remembered event and there will be elements of that event that you don't recall consciously. And this is the benefit of the hypnosis. This is the beautiful part of hypnosis is that it gives us access to that part of the mind. So, okay. On the one hand, how to phrase this? It is undeniably that there is a therapeutic benefit to revisiting something with renewed eyes or from the adult perspective to the child. Definitely. However, and, and yes, undeniably, there's stuff at an unconscious level that we're not aware of. Why the focus, the need to effectively take the person back to, generally speaking, it's not always, well, generally speaking, it's going to be a traumatic event, generally speaking, or at least it was experienced in that manner at the time. Why take them back and what I call mind rate them? When you can metaphorically allow the unconscious mind to create a imaginary scenario that in a way that feels right for them on an unconscious level achieves the same end result and releases all the negative connections to allow them to move forward and the exact same end result moving forward without any risk of mm. reconstructive memory, without any risk mm. of false memory, and without mind raping them and having them to be upset. Why the need for well, whole catharsis? <laughs> That's a little controversial um, because I, I have been actually uh, reading the, the, some of the research into memory reconsolidation. And one of the things that they have discovered is that if you create an imagined event, that, well, that is remember. creating a, that's yeah, creating a remember, memory. The unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between reality and that which was imagined. And that if is correct. And if with that positive intent, you create a metaphoric situation that can only have positive emotions thoughts, feelings, and connections for the person. So in no way is that mind raping them. And it cannot have any negative effect on anyone ending up getting falsely accused of having done anything, for example. Then there is no logical reason not to do that. Whereas when you are potentially pushing at something that has got trauma attached, that could be knocked out of sync, misinterpreted, whatever, with potential explosive repercussions, um, to me, there's no argument. There's only one way to go there, surely. Okay, so so uh, you, you, there's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces in in your dissertation. Okay, mm -hmm. so so first of all, memory memory reconsolidation research over the last decade has uh, has identified that if you create um, yeah, go ahead, create a happy place and give them another, you know, another experience. But if you do that, it does not extinguish the actual event. It's still there. If it's a repressed memory. There are ways, that, there are ways to link that created with positive intent metaphoric event. If you create. To what was, as you would term it, the initial sensitizing event, but in a manner where they do not have to on any level become um upset traumatized 
They don't have to relive it. They don't have to be mime raped, as I would call it. But where it can link and it can override and cancel out. Well, you would have to identify the initial sensitizing event to be no, able you to don't. distinguish it's it. Just, there's only one sensitizing event that applies to every person on the planet, whatever their issue is, of course. And that is the, the person at the time of whatever you would deem to be the initial sensitizing event, or rather they would deem to be, but it's termed in the world of teaching it, wasn't able to handle that occurrence or experience at that moment in a manner where it wouldn't at some point affect them and manifest as some sort of yeah. symptom. Yeah, yeah, it's the overwhelm. So the definition of trauma, uh, as uh, I like Dr. Robert Scare's definition, and that is uh, that that is uh, uh, being in a state of um, um, it's the perception of threat while in a state of helplessness. Well, helplessness is the state of every child. And children are easily overwhelmed by, you know, they can be overwhelmed by just not being able to understand what's happening in their environment. Um, and so these are the things that we're looking for. That's trauma. And for an adult, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've taken a person back into a childhood event. They go, that's it. That was it. You know, the thing that had been creating this this phobic response in their adult life came out of virtually nothing. Mm. But it's because the child was so overwhelmed by and not able to make sense of what was happening. And there was no one there to support the child in making sense. It, it just, you know, the subconscious mind has the ability to make mountains out of molehills. And this is what we find. So, you, you know, you talk about mind raping, that is not regression hypnotherapy. And anyone that is practicing that is not practicing therapeutic hypnosis. So you, you're telling me that you never take people into experiencing what originally happened. Are you saying you never take people into what happened before, that they never experience the feelings that happened then? to end up with this catharsis moment of release because that's yeah, what regression that. is to me but the whole purpose of going back to the ISE is is that it is the weakest link in the chain it is the event that has, well, that has the smallest amount of emotional charge to it if, if, they, if they get upset by that which they have to by virtue of cathartic release because you've not had much cathartic that? release What's wrong with being upset? I don't know where we got this idea that there's something wrong with feeling emotions. This seems to be a, so a, a, cultural, a cultural aversion no, is that there's something wrong. wrong with emotions. I definitely don't think there's anything wrong with people feeling emotions. Of course they should. Um, and, and to some degree, you've got to at times have moments in your life where you feel the what people will call negative emotions, otherwise you wouldn't appreciate the positive ones. So please don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that. What I'm saying is, though, other than, obviously, what was said before, that that moment of catharsis can be the release moment, the focal point, uh, the moment of release, the whatever you want to call it, that the client then symptoms disappear and their life improves. Other than that justification, what justification is there for taking any client back to have to re-experience, whether consciously, unconsciously, a combination thereof, imaginary or real is irrelevant, so anything that was traumatic, 
Why? When there's no need to. There's ways of getting the exact same long-lasting results for the clients without having to do that to them. Well, <laughs> okay, I will say that there are many paths up the mountain and, you know, the view from the top is still the same. Um, not every therapy is appropriate to every client. You know, people are different and different. it's different strokes for different folks. Um, I would be the last person to say that regression is for everybody. It's good for a lot of people, but it's not for everyone. And it certainly is not about re-traumatizing and it is certainly not about instilling false memories. It's exactly the opposite. It is about releasing the energy that is holding a traumatic event in place so that person can move on with their life. If you can get there by another path, more power to you. My recommendation to most people is try those other, you know, it's, it's not until you've tried everything else that you turn to regression. If nothing else has gotten that lasting result, then maybe you want to give it a go. It's like surgery is not the first, um, uh, uh, you know, therapy that a person will seek. They will seek other other methods before, you know, you, you want to do it or, or dental surgery. You know, you don't do a root canal first. So it, it's just when nothing else has worked, this can this is a viable um, approach for a good many people. So what steps do you take to, um, well, you use the term minimize because um, the rest of it's contextual because the truth is there's no therapeutic approach um, to do with the mind that can completely eliminate um, distorted memories or, or it's just impossible. Uh, but if the context of such is done in a manner that's avoiding going towards traumatic stuff, then we can really minimise. So what steps do you take with the way that you do regression hypnosis? Because that could be very different than the way I was taught it years ago or the way I know many other people do it. So let's look at the way you do it and teach it. Um which people can learn more by going to the links below the video or speaker and getting Wendy's books. Uh, and, and let me tell you, I recommend you go and get Wendy's book. There it is on screen. Move it a bit more to the middle a second, just in case, so it doesn't chop it off when it split screens us. There you go. You'll find that the Devil's Therapy Hypnosis Practitioner's Essential Guide to Effective Regression Hypnotherapy. Whether you intend to use regression hypnosis or not, it's still worth getting that book and reading it, okay? I want to point that out because it sounds like I've been picking up on all the potential issues and I have been picking up on all the potential issues and problems because if you as a viewer or listener can see that Wendy's address those I know that then you could perhaps get even more benefit through studying her courses as well as getting the book um plus it'll save her having to answer hundreds of emails when this goes out going <laughs> there was a question I wanted the answer to but I didn't have the balls to ask it well I have had the balls to ask it so 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 how do you minimize um <laughs> uh, can I just interject things? something here yeah, I, want, I just I just want to make it clear I do not teach hypnosis classes okay I'm, I don't teach certification classes I don't teach regression hypnosis I teach post graduate online courses in regression to cause therapeutic hypnosis. So I'm not trying to convert the masses and I'm not trying to sell somebody a career. This is for this is for hypnosis practitioners who are already trained in regression to cause who want to up their game. 
and want to do a better job and get lasting results with their clients. And the foundation of my approach, this approach, is yeah. safety. Excellent. The subconscious mind is safety. And that is everything is built on making the process safe for the client. It is all permission based. We start by qualifying the client. Is this the right client for this therapy? Is this the right client for you? Are you qualified to work with the issue that they're bringing to you? These are important questions that need to be addressed. They're not taught in basic hypnosis training. You need to qualify your clients. Um, you know, the intake process, what questions do you need to ask? This is important because every problem, every disease is coming out of a life experience. You need to know what the client's history is. And you may be able to identify the specific clues that will tell you where that's coming from. It could be a relationship issue that goes back. I mean, usually it's mom, you know, um, or it could be, you know, you may find that there was some event that was a triggering event that will give you the pathway back to the underlying cause of the problem. Educating the client is very important because the, the foundation for the therapeutic, um, for achieving the client's therapeutic goal is the therapeutic relationship. And that is an alliance. It's the power is not in the in the is not in the therapist. The power is not in the technique. It's in the client. And the job of the therapist is to help that client to access that power and create the change for themselves. And so this is, I'm very, very much um, uh, uh, very adamant about the idea of a client-centered approach. And that means we work with the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind's prime directive is to protect its safety. And so we're making it safe every step of the way. I am not into bulldozing and bullying clients to go where they don't want to go. If I And I believe that the, our whole entire purpose in the therapeutic uh, process is not to make something happen. It's to make it safe for it to happen. And in making it safe, that means that if the client bumps into some resistance, that's the job. It's to resolve the resistance, make it safe for them to go beyond that threshold. And so it's a very sort of a step-by-step, -step, very gentle approach. It's a kind approach. It's a collaborative approach. We do it in cooperation with the client's own inner mind. And again, the whole purpose of getting to the ISE is it's the weakest emotional um, impact for the client. Now, every once in a while, it's rare, but every once in a while, that ISE is something nasty. You know, when you've got something like childhood sexual abuse, that first event, often it's not a big deal. It's more confusing for the child, but it's the adult that's freaking out. And so uh, then then we need to do we need to mitigate that we need to deal with the adult consciousness rather than the child before we bring that adult in, because we need a grown up to step in and say, I got you now. I'm going to take care of this for you. You don't have to live with this the rest of your life. And that's where the change takes place. So we're working with these two parts of the mind, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. The, the child is the, is the child, the child mind is the subconscious mind, of course. Um, 
on occasion, you know, it can be something really nasty. I had a client that went back where, you know, his dad was beating his mom up and there was blood everywhere and he was like two years old and it was terrifying for him. In that situation, we, that's, that's the place where I'm going to use dissociative event uh, techniques. I'm going to, I'm going to transport that child up above that event, take him up into the timeline and give him a chance to look down and kind of get accustomed to, oh, that's how it is. I want to release the emotion charge around that so that that child can be safe knowing you're okay now. I can do that inner child work on another level, but I do want to be able to test the results by taking the child back into the event because I'm not going to change what happened. If that's how the client remembers it, if he remembers that dad beat mom up, that's what happened. It's sad but true. And I want that client to be able to come to the point of acceptance that that's just how it is. That's how it was for them. Mom and dad had problems. They're not my problems. And I can grow up knowing that I'm okay and I get to have an adult life and I can choose to be happy because those things are now in the past. Excellent answer. Thank you. No, seriously. Um, I, see, I didn't actually make any notes during that answer because there was nothing that went, ha-ha, this is a secret... What I did know, well, you, you mentioned the phrase inner child. Um, and I'm going to give you an example of how I deal with inner child stuff because I completely agree with you, you know, that quite a lot of the time, not every time, but a lot of the time, that can be useful for clients. But I don't actually now, I did years ago, like I said, but I don't now get them to think about or try and uncover uh, an initial sensitizing event I don't but what I will quite often do with certain things is def definitely if it's things like post-traumatic stress disorder or um, whatever they feel may have caused that anyway they're going to be consciously aware of we know that may not be the initial sensitizing event I will acknowledge that up front but I don't drag them through that but I'll hypnotize them allegedly in other words, get them to close their eyes and relax, because let's face it, that's all it really is. And um, ultimately get them to then imagine that in a few moments' time, I'm going to place, because they've got their eyes closed, onto their lap um, a pillow. I tell them it's a pillow. Um, but that the moment that pillow goes on their lap, in their mind's eye, in a way that feels right for them, they're to imagine that it's a mini them. Now, I'm not going to tell you what age you are, but in your mind's eye, you'll just know. You won't know how you know, but the moment that mini you is placed onto your lap, you'll just have that automatic desire to make sure the mini you doesn't fall off your lap, so to take hold of them, which naturally, without having guided them, makes them generally yeah. go into the hug position, yeah. which is eliciting emotions. And I will get them to, they don't know, how they know, but they just know that this is the right age that they need the little them to be, to be able to give that little them some advice or some words of encouragement that they felt they needed then, that had they been given then, would mean they could have moved forward to now without any issues, worries, concerns or negatives. And we never have to find the initial sensitizing event. We never have to 
bring up traumatic stuff. It's in a way that feels right for you, almost as if you'll just know without knowing. But the key is, and that's where I agree with you a million percent, the inner child bit, is that they kind of metaphorically give that adult advice to the younger them so the younger them can move on rather than being stuck. That's the way I go yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like I say, there, there's many paths up the mountain. There's many, you know, many paths to Rome. Um, the, one of the things that I found is that, you know, is there even such a thing as an ISE? I mean, that's controversial. I think it's that it's in the mind of the client, if they believe, ah, that's what caused this. It, you know, we're working with beliefs. We're working with perceptions we want no, to change with, the belief I, I want to point out when i'm agreeing with wendy as well i could not agree more that the key is if they believe because uh, right, a lot there's some schools of regression to cause therapy that go no 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 when they get that you know you test it a bit and they might change their mind and know actually something else but then there comes a point where they go no we'll go with that whereas if the person's got a passionate belief that X, Y, Z was the cause, then even if it wasn't, does it matter? Because you will get the end result. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> the conscious mind, you know, I've had lots of clients be very adamant. Oh, I know what the cause is. And they'll tell me the event. And I go, oh, okay, that's good. I'll drop them into hypnosis. I'll take them into that event. And then I will test. Mm -hmm. I'll test for the ISC and invariably they will go to a much earlier age. And this is the same thing we find with PTSD um, um, that the, uh, the, the, the client may think that it came out of the war zone or that car accident or whatever, but they were sensitized for PTSD much earlier than that. And that's the kind of the key to getting it, the resolution is understanding that not, you know, not everybody's going to get addicted to, to cocaine. It's the person who has had the life conditions that sensitize them to that that particular, you know, that um, the, the, there's actual brain development that goes into this. Um, we just call it sensitization in, in uh, uh, you know, in regression work. But um, uh, so we want to find that earliest event. Again, the, the interest in getting to that childhood event is because it's going to be much weaker than that big traumatic, you know, getting getting uh, T-boned by a, you know, by a lorry um, is pretty traumatic, whereas, um, you know, being a three-year-old and, and being frightened by the dog barking, um, it, you know, there's a big difference there. So we want to identify those things. Um, but if you if, so, if if you drop a person into hypnosis and they go back to event, even if it's not in childhood, it might be, you know, they might be 12 years old or they might be 10 years old. It's very unlikely that that is the ISC. But if the client says, oh my God, you know, he it truly believes that that's that's the cause of the problem resolving that bringing that event to healing and then generalizing all of those those shifts and changes in consciousness will have a backwash of, uh, effect into those earlier events because the subconscious mind naturally um, generalizes all changes and uh, so while we we picture a kind of a, a linear timeline that isn't how the mind works it's more like a spider web and so if you create a change at a, at a juncture you know where where several lines of of uh 
of I don't know what you call them neural pathways or whatever all connect at that it's point. Out it's everywhere. gonna yeah, it's gonna the it's gonna go through the entire pattern. So everything that's connected to that is gonna be shifted. And this is why I'm such a, a big proponent of testing. And I'm really very opposed to that one session, one hit wonder, because you cannot know that you've resolved everything if you don't test the results in the client's daily life. So I always want to have a follow-up session. Give them some time to go out into their daily life and find out if something's going to trigger um, the, the problem. There, because there can be so many different aspects. Just as there's all those different pathways coming into that one little problem, um, you might have got three of the four, but there's another element that's tied up over here and you won't know until they bump into it in their daily life and that that's also covered in this book here in the last segment and that's where you know the soldier goes out and he runs into the innkeeper and it's that like that one person that doesn't show up in the session you have no idea because the subconscious mind just didn't bring him to mind well that brings me to two things then based on what you just said one the um I agree with you that, that, that there are certainly circumstances where one session isn't ideal, although I personally believe that's in the minority. Um, be, but anyway, the ones where it can be is because there's certain things you can test. If someone's scared of uh, snakes, let's say, they're, especially if they're living in England, yeah. where they're not yeah. normally, you can take them to an aquarium place and get them to hold a snake. And if they're laughing their head off with joy, that it's worked, you you you, you fit, can be fairly confident it, it, it's that's going to be a cementing proof to them that we'll have that knock-on spider web effect positively to cancel out any little tiny things that might have been missed um, because the overpowering sense of pride and achievement from holding the snake could do that. That said, um, my <laughs> other most people don't keep a snake in their in their office, so no, they're still going to need to test. Um, but if, if I'm dealing with a snake phobia, I, I always make sure that we can go straight afterwards to the local aquarium place. I will book, book them to the test. Uh, can I agree with you? It needs they need that extra proof or time between sessions if you're going that route to be able to prove to themselves that it's actually worked, which will cement things positively. So we're on the same hymn sheet there. Yeah. The the only ever so slightly different, and we get we're on so many there's so many things that I wanted thought I was going to disagree with that I'm not. It's just mm, this is the either or. You keep talking about all oh, the you know the root cause tends to be in childhood, as did sick mind fraud formative years zero to seven he said i personally uh kind of feel that it's more zero to about teenage years puberty and then we kind of get psychologically locked there the body grows but the mind doesn't but that's by the by and without a doubt i agree with you that it's during those years growing up that can make the difference between whether the person reacts to a situation in one way or the other way, which is the difference between them being traumatised by it long-term or not being traumatised by it long-term. Can't, can't pick at that on any level because that's my firm belief and anyone who, who's watched any past uh, episodes knows, knows that. But I boil it down to this, and that's what I want to ask you. This is leading to a question, ask your, your view on. Because we're regression to cause, you're saying you... You want them to find what they believe 
or most likely seems to be the uh, initial sensitizing event. I am of the belief that pretty much I already know what the initial sensitizing event was for every human on the planet. Anyone who's got a habit, addiction, fear, phobia, post-traumatic stress, anything, anything that we might class as being negative or not the way they want it to be, all human beings want is to feel loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued. If there's an imbalance in any of them, in the childhood years especially, so I'm agreeing with you there, yep. then it's going to have a knock-on effect on their self-confidence, the self-image, the self-control, aka willpower, and their, I've forgotten one, self-image, self-confidence, self-esteem and self-control. And if there's any imbalance in any of them, it's going to have a knock-on effect on their self-worth, self-love, self-respect. And any imbalance in any one or more of them is going to ultimately create a hole. Uh, that's metaphorically what I'm going to say. Now, some people will go on then to fill that hole by overeating. Some will try and cloud it out through smoking. Some will try and escape that pain of the gap through drugs, literally. Or, or it just simmers away at a low level. But there's an imbalance. There's yeah. something missing. And then some later event in life, perhaps when they're older, might be when they're young, but after this foundation started, so the foundation is from birth, it, the computer program of imbalance could be there quite firmly by the time they're six or seven. And then when they're eight or nine, something happens that for someone who didn't have the same environmental upbringing or same um, conditioning, they would react and it wouldn't bother them. But because this yep. person had certain imbalances in one or more of those things, it grows and over time it manifests in various ways. But knowing that, that is why I stopped doing regression to cause and what I term mind rape or law. In fairness, you put the emphasis on safety so much that I've got to say now, that if you're going to look, if anyone does want to learn more about uh, regression to cause or already does it, more importantly, and wants to be doing it in a more, exp well, why should you care what I think? But if you're one of my students and you want to do it in a way where I approve of more, it certainly sounds like Wendy's way is far more uh, ethical, safe and uh, gentle for the client. But still, I would say, knowing that those in, it comes down to some imbalance in one or more of those things, and it's going to be different for everyone, that if you can take the client that comes to you with whatever issue and build them up so they feel loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued, so that they balance out, so that their self-confidence, self-image, self-esteem, self-control balances out, so that their self-worth self-respect, self-love uh, balances out so that their pyramid of them is solid and the gaps removed and any imbalance is gone, that it's irrelevant what the initial sensitizing event was. You don't need to go to it because the spider's web will flood out and deal with everything as long as that emotional pyramid is strong and firm, which it can be 
without having to traumatize them again? Well, I kind of have a, a simpler take on it. I think we just, we start out okay. You know, we start out with everything that we need and then, you know, it's, it's like epigenetics, right? There's this environment that, that has an impact, uh, makes Im, uh, uh, impressions um, that changes that. And it, it has more to do with how we perceive ourselves and others and the world around us. And so this is how we form a, a worldview. It's how we form a sense of identity. It's how we form an ex, you know, our expectations and relationships and, and you know, what we deserve in life and what life is going to send us. And I think that um, there are three core needs that need, need to be recognized that this is what I look at. They, are these, what are these three core needs? And are, you know, what's, what need is not being met in this situation? Uh, and it's essentially this is in childhood. How is that need not being met? So that, so one is we need to avoid threat. That's real basic. OK, um, we're hardwired for that to avoid threat. So safety and security are our prime directive. The second core need is we need to achieve rewards. We are driven to seek pleasure, uh, recognition, achievement, um, to, to know that, you know, that, that we have value um, and, and a sense of accomplishment. You know, how many, how many of us have had children say, I did that, you know, or I'll do it. There's, this, there's a reward that comes from that. Maybe that's that dopamine kick, kick that we get when we, when we accomplish something. And the third core need is attachment. We need to attach, and attachment can can be disrupted um, very early in life. Either you know, can it can be disrupted prenatally and postnatally, and it can be disrupted during those formative, you know, two or three years um, um, in the infant's development. Um, there's a wall of amnesia that comes in around age three. So I'm always, you know, when a client goes before that period, I, I'm paying close attention to what's going on in that period of time. But those are the three needs that that I'm I'm going to be checking out when I'm doing a regression because the problem is always an unmet need. Mm-hmm. And so so uh, and an ISE always involves some kind of a shock or a surprise. So that's that disruption that goes through the, the nervous system of the body. There's going to be some uh, energy intensity to that because it overwhelms the nervous system. That's what makes the impression. It's like the, the you know, the child can't handle that much. It's an overwhelm. Um, and the, the biggest problem in any ISE is that the child is having to deal with it alone that there's no one there to support the child. And so what this does is it generates a sense of isolation and vulnerability, which just makes everything worse. And the bottom line is that some need, some essential need in the perception of the child is not being met. And so that's what we want to identify. The the fact that the child is dealing with the situation alone is immediately corrected the moment that we bring the adult into the into the scene. So we've already corrected that part of the problem. Is that false memory? Yeah, it is. But it's necessary because this child is part of the client and we want to grow that child up and integrate it at adult consciousness. We want to bring it home. So, you know, in the shamanic tradition, it's called soul retrieval. We're just finding this fragmented part of the consciousness and bringing it home. Where did I write it down? I've got all these notes here. There, it's probably not uh, very clear to the camera. 
But I have got on here, I'll move it around slowly. If people look closely, they will see the word <laughs> shamanic. Because I was going to bring that up, but you've already just brought it up. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah, we talked a lot about children, but what about, uh, I know I've just said the root always is in those formative years, but the apparent initial sensitising event isn't always in the childhood years. It is in my in my world. <laughs> is that because you expect it to be in your therapist bias? Bias has made it that way. I don't know. In it's the, my illusion, right? Because in in Sigmund Freud's world, pretty much ninety percent of his clients' um, initial sensitizing events were um, sexual, sexually. Well, I, okay, I haven't studied Freud, but I don't believe that he had a concept of an initial sensitizing event. I think that he just, um, as my understanding is, is that he he assumed that um, uh, that that many of these women that he was seeing were suffering from um, from abuse issues from childhood. But I don't think that he had a concept of an initial sensitizing event. I could be wrong, but I don't know. Like I say, I never studied Freud, so I don't know. Well, I mean, in short, for viewers, listeners, if they want to look into it more, there, it was two main things Freud's known for. That's the Oedipus complex and um, yep. the Electra complex. The Oedipus being yep. the kill your father, fuck your mother syndrome. <laughs> Pretty much sums it up. And the Oedipus complex is the other way around. Kill your mother, fuck your father. Uh, be more related to females generally as opposed to the other two. Um, and that, and folks, is why we're so messed up. <laughs> Yeah, well, Freud messed up. Um, yeah, indeed. Um, so, yeah, you see, well, I don't know where to go with that one because you, so you, you're saying to me that, are you saying that all or are you saying that most of your experiences in helping people is that their initial sensitizing event is in their childhood? That has been my experience. See, I use a non-directive approach. So I just ask the subconscious mind to show me. Um, and so I, I use an affect bridge. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll identify the emotion. This is very important. You find the emotion. Um, you'll get nowhere if you, you try to track on something like anxiety or depression because they're not emotions. You need, to, you need to get a very strong bridge. So you need a strong feeling of sadness or a strong feeling of fear. Usually it's fear. You know, so so we want to bring that up powerfully and then follow it back. And and I use kind of a lily pad approach. So I go to an earlier event and then I test for the ISC and then I go to an earlier event and I'll test for the ISC. And I just keep testing until the client lands an event. And when I tell them to go to it back to an earlier event, they come back to the same event. And it is routinely in early childhood. I've, I've never had a client that didn't land in, you know, two, two years, three years, you know, go back to the womb, go back to, you know, the birth scene. This is quite common. And though, and it's it's good, you know, because though because you've got this very um, um, highly receptive mind of a child that is taking in all this information, doesn't know how to process it, and so it's very easy to correct those sorts of things. Whereas, you know, if you're working with a teenager, you're going to you're you're running into a lot more resistance because they've already got all this accumulated stuff, you know, that's I just want to clarify so that I'm not 
Could I might be missing the point here? And if I am, I'll hold my hands up to viewers and listeners. Ah, so I'm going to clarify, and I know that you you will tell me if I'm misunderstood here. Are you saying to me, because then I could understand where you're coming from, are you saying to me that their initial sensitising event in childhood, which you find it to almost always be, could be some little thing that when you hear it seems to have nothing whatsoever to do with what's occurring now, but would be something that would cause some kind of emotional imbalance in that emotional pyramid I spoke about earlier. So that then as they grow up, they'll react to situations um, with less of an ability in certain areas where some people would walk on and it wouldn't bother them. They won't because of other events in their life, as opposed to the logic of someone who's got post-traumatic stress disorder um who worked for the police and got shot and then dragged along by a car and all this kind of stuff pretty logically that's gonna be their initial sensitizing event nope you put 300 people on a plane and you drop that plane out of the sky you do not have 300 people with a fear of flying 300 people can be on that plane, but only one or two or three are going to end up with long-lasting post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of that. And the the research is in on this as well. You can check out Dr. Robert Scare's books. Uh, The Body Bears a Burden is brilliant. And he says this is he found that that he was he was running a um, a trauma center um, where they deal with um, you know people who have been through motor vehicle accidents and and workplace accidents and what have you and he said that the that the individuals who did not recover um, over the standard treatment period like you know if you have a back injury for example it's supposed to be six weeks and you you get the physio and you get the drugs and what have you and at the end of six weeks you can go back to the job and he said but there were individuals that did not meet the model they simply did not recover and they were the ones that would two years later would still be they'd be walking around on crutches and they'd be still taking the drugs and still going for the physical therapy and he couldn't figure out why and finally what he discovered was that the these individuals were different from everybody else. And what made them different was that they had been sensitized. He calls it kindling. They had been kindled in childhood. And this sensitized them to the impact of a later traumatic event, which no question, being in an accident, being in a war zone, you know, being tortured. These things are horrifically traumatic but they were not what was holding the problem in place. It's that they had been kindled very early in life, and it wasn't until they resolved the childhood issue that the symptoms abated. You know, now that you've explained it that way, we don't work that differently. (laughs) 
Um, it's one mind, you know, it's one mind. The mind, the mind is really simple. You know, it's when we start trying to figure out how the brain works that it, you know, it gets kind of complicated. But if you just think about the mind as being, you know, it's consciousness and consciousness is developed. It's grown over time through perceptions and understandings and, and awarenesses and emotional responses. And it builds a sense of self. When you look at it through that lens, it, it starts to get pretty simple. Hmm. I, the only thing that niggles at me, because we're so, 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 so similar. And little things in childhood, (laughs) yeah, the the little things in childhood definitely can do dictate how you react to things at any other later stage in life if they're not dealt with. Because that program software will still just keep running until it's deleted and replaced with something. I find myself agreeing with you more and more and more. I just have this mental block of, well, no, I don't, not in the context of what you've just explained, because the initial sensitizing event in the context of what you just explained won't be anything that's particularly megaly, massively traumatic by the time they get to it, knowing that they're going to look at it slightly disassociated from an adult point of view. And because you've already talked about safety. So and go stuff. back to the definition of trauma as, as according to Dr. Scare. Trauma is the perception of threat while in a state of helplessness. Mm-hmm. A child can perceive anything to be a threat. It doesn't have to be. Okay, I'll give you a case. Um, uh, mommy is dropping the, the two-year-old off at the babysitters at the, at the daycare center because she's got to go to work or go shopping or whatever. She's, and it's the first time she's ever left, left the child at daycare. The child thinks, mommy's abandoning me. Mommy's leaving. Mommy's never going to come back. ISE. I, I, and with that, I agree with you. So now we're so close to me agreeing with everything almost, but this will be a niggly one. That will still leave it a gray area here where there will be people in the field of regression to cause that I will always disagree with because I've seen the bloody training materials and their emphasis is a bit Freudian, shall we say. Um, but let's take uh, another hypothetical example. Let's well. We we wish it was totally hypothetical. You will have encountered clients like this. Uh, I know I did years ago. Um, I wouldn't. I'd refer them to other people now because they're not clients. It's not that I don't want to help certain people. It's just that I'm not the best person to help them. I know that now. Yeah, you know, there's times when you're better off referring to other clients. Years ago, I, I, I was too stuck up myself to do that. I learned. But let's take a right victim. And let's say, hypothetically, they got raped six months prior to coming to you, taking them six months to either discover that there was the possibility that going to see you could help them or for them to whatever, for whatever reason, it's taken them six months. Some people, it takes years and years. Well, just for this hypothetical situation, say yep. six months, it's taken them. So six months ago, they got raped. And for the Six months since being raped, they basically just not left the house. They're crying all the time. Every stereotypical manifestation of um, victim mentality, and I don't want that to sound bad the way I've just said, but victim mentality that can amplify things negatively is 
LinkedIn. Just to be clear, that, that's accurate, the victim mentality, but understand that what that is, is that this person is hyper vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That's what the victim mentality is that comes out of event like that, because, because they were powerless. I, I had a client that was gang raped in the military. And, and it's horrific because there's, there's this profound, overwhelming sense of powerlessness. Yeah. And, and so, and they were, they were victimized. The problem is that when that victimization becomes identity, I am a victim. Well, let's use your real example then, rather than just a random rape victim. You've you've, you've had real examples. Well, this, yeah. well, no, let's stick with my example. So six months ago, they were raped. The victim mentality's kicked in. But fortunately, they've got to a point where they, they want to seek help because they've got to be in the right frame of mind to come to a therapist anywhere. They've come to see you. Let's say they are, we'll pick a random age. They're 43 years old, okay? Uh, they've just turned 43. So they were 42 and a half when they were raped. And I'm being pacific yeah. about that. I'm being pedantic about the fact that that traumatic situation took place when they were 42 and a half years old. Now, if you're we're so close to possibly agreeing on everything, it doesn't matter whether we do or not, viewers or listeners, uh, you can still go, still go to the links, get Wendy's book, I encourage you to and perhaps explore it. But if you are like the old school, I'm going to term it that way without naming names. If you're like the old school regression to cause therapists, the immediate focus obviously would be on the fact, well, we know that six months ago the person was raped and getting them to relive that, you would hope from some disassociated point of view as an outsider looking in. But still, that's too much like my rape for my liking anyway. If, however, based on everything we've gone over in this um, interview, and I, I, I do believe, because there's people who get raped who the next day continue like almost as if nothing's happened. I'm not saying they're not, but they will focus it in a manner where they set up support groups for the people who fall into victim mentality. Yeah. And so yeah. in a split second, their reaction yeah. is different. Why was the reaction different because of all the things we've spoken about? The things that happened when they were young that affected the emotional stability or bought instability in. So why not just go and find those childhood little things that cause the instability and put them right so it has the spider's web effect so that we don't need to uh, mind rape them with what went on six months ago? Well, you know, if a client comes to you and says, I was raped six months ago and I and I want to be free of that event, then that's what you're going to deal with. You're going to deal with that event. Yeah, you know, they're not coming to you to to get rid of the, the, the panic attacks that, that they've been, ha you know, because they're afraid of spiders or something. They're coming to you, they say, you know, and the client, I've, I've had clients come to me and say, you know, I was molested and I, and I want, I want it, I want to clean this out. I want it, want to put it in the past. I want to be done with it. They say, uh, okay, fair enough. They, they yeah. want to be done with it, but they can be done yeah. with it without having to make them relive it or examine it. Uh, I don't know how to do that. Because you because you don't wipe it out of the mind for good. Okay, but this is this is the whole this is the whole purpose for regression is that we want to put an end to the avoidance. We want to put an end. That's what repression is. Repression is avoidance. And if you push something down long enough, it's going to find a way out. 
and right, it'll right. it finds a way out through through you know phobic responses or it finds a way out through through some kind of a physiological disease so we want to put an end to avoidance but it's only becomes repressed and then has to find a way out through a symptom if that individual was not emotionally equipped on some level to deal with it in the manner that some other people would have been able to do. Oh, okay. But so if we can deal with them, it will have the spider's web effect <laughs> to enable them to then go, yeah, you know yeah. what, that did happen to me, but it doesn't have to affect me or bother me anymore. And that yeah. can be done without having to have them relive it. Well, yeah, and and uh, as I say, if some you know a client comes to me and says you know that I I was raped and I I want to put this in the past, then I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to encapsulate that particular event. I don't need to you know to dig up everything. I just want to find that event and I want to find a way through for them. But I do want them to be able to step into that event and move through it with no affect whatsoever. That's the goal. And so I have different strategies for doing that. One of the things that happens in a traumatic experience is dissociation. So there are going to be aspects of that memory that are not conscious. They need to bring these to consciousness so they can come to terms with what happened. Often the solution to the resolution of that problem is in what they do, what they, they, they don't consciously have awareness of. Um, like a big insight is, oh, there's nothing I could have done. You know, rape victims, they, you know, the, the victims of, of any kind of abuse blame themselves. I did something to to cause this. I was too I was too you know t attractive. I shouldn't have worn makeup. My skirt was too short. Whatever it happens to be, I I had one client who was in the military. Okay, there, there was no no seduction there whatsoever. But she was gang raped by about six different men. Why? I don't know. It was like some kind of initiation or something. They thought it was funny. And it was a horrific event for her. So, the, but the, but again, my whole process, I want to make it safe. So first of all, I don't, no smoke and mirrors. I will tell the client, we're going to go back and we're going to look at that event. Are you prepared to do that? Yes. Okay. I want that. Yes. Understand that you're living with that day in and day out. There isn't a day goes by that you're not reliving that event. It's just how the mind works. Subconscious mind ruminates trying to find a solution. We need to put an end to that. The only way to put an end to it is to come to peace with what happened. So one of the things I might do is I might start at the end of the event. Um, there's good research to show that um, this is particularly true in childhood, but even with an event such as this, that if support is provided immediately following a traumatic event. The effects of that event do not have to be long lasting. So you talked about individuals who go on to run support groups in that. Well, it's possible that there was support available to them immediately so that they could process what they've just been through. It's when the person has to deal with it alone and they continue to deal with it alone that it sets up this internal cycle of you know reliving it either consciously or unconsciously, which has a reinforcing effect on the on the tra trauma itself, the internalized fear, the anger, the grief, the, the sadness, all of that stuff is bottled up inside. So I might take that person back to after the event and I would be that therapist on the scene with them and I would help them to re release the emotional charge after the event. Oh, and I would do that in past tense. Tell me the story. What just happened? 
well, I was just walking down the street and all of a sudden these six guys came up. Pause right there. Notice how you're feeling. Process that emotion. And so I titrate the the story and get as much of that energy out of the story as I possibly can. When the client comes to a place of peace and calm, I then invite them. I say, okay, look, we're going to go back to before that event. I want you to be with that younger you who had to go through that event. Would you be willing to be there for her and help her to get through that event so that she doesn't have to have all of these problems as a result of it? I want that agreement. Do you feel ready to do that? Yes, good. No, I'll be with you. There's going to be three of us in that scene now. We go back to the beginning before anything bad has happened. How's she doing? She's fine. Is there anything that might have prepared her for what's about to happen to her. No, nothing. Are you sure? Absolutely. Great. So let's change that. This time she's going to know. Is there anything that she could have done to avoid that situation? No. Great. How would it have been if you'd known that to begin with? Oh, it would have changed everything. Good. Let's do that. So we change the event in that way that the, that the, that the woman who was raped knows that it's going to happen, but she also knows that it has no bearing on her. It doesn't define her. It only defines the individuals who attacked her. And in that moment, from what you've just said, you've helped them remove any self-blame, shame, guilt or regret that could have been surrounding it. Also, they go into it knowing I'm going to survive. They go in knowing it's really not going to last that long. Because most of the time, it's, you know, most traumatic events are only a few minutes. They're not hours and hours of torture. But in the mind, it's hours and hours of torture because they're running over it over and over and over again. So they're torturing themselves with the memory. So, so the, all of this information needs to be kind of uploaded prior to the event. But that can't happen until you've got the older self, the adult self to a place of peace and calm. Yes, it happened. It wasn't fun. Nobody should have to go through that. It was wrong. We get that. But I'm okay now. I made it through. I survived. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I can breathe again. I'm safe. So we want to we implant that safety and then take that safer, wiser, uh, more grounded individual back and be the resource for the younger self. So it's inner child work. We're just doing it with a more uh, with a more advanced age, but it's the same process. It's very very rare. I say this as people who watch or listen to past episodes will uh, will be able to testify, be able to check out by going to hypnosisweek.com and check out back episodes, and they'll see that this is a rarity. It may have happened once or twice in the past eighty five episodes, but um, that is. In the context of what we've discussed, I mean, some of it playing devil's advocate, some of it not. Some of it being my genuine experiences and thoughts and conclusions is the best presented, uh, most convincing in the context of being ethically, uh, morally, I'll even go so far as legally acceptable because you've all you've already covered on. You've already, by virtue of the way you've answered, and people, as I always say, get a notepad and pen, watch this again a second time, or listen to it a second time, and take notes. But Wendy's already, a question I was going to come up on about was informed consent. Mm -hmm. 
um, because as therapists, we do have a duty of care. Sadly, the vast majority of courses, and I'm not just on about regression to cause, I'm on about normal hypnotherapy, NLP, yeah. do not pay enough attention to that. Some of them don't pay attention to it at all. <clears throat> um, and you did mention that right at the start of the interview. So, But you mentioned it again just now. Um, so li people, listen again, watch again, take notes. I love the fact that Wendy has mentioned things about telling the client up front what to do, get getting permission every step of the way, not just launching things on them, but also dealing with it in a more step-by-step, chunk-by-chunk, disassociative, so rather than it being all one overwhelming traumatic experience at once, I find that far more palatable and acceptable than a lot of regression to cause uh, approaches, which is probably why your book, well, your book's available to anyone to get, but it'll probably be of most benefit to people who, dare I say it, have been taught the more unethical or immoral or potentially dangerous way of doing it. It seems that you've tied up a lot of the um, loose ends, which is to, to be commended. Um, amazing interview. I'm going to let you bring this to a close because people, oh, well, no, there's only one thing I want to mention, but it's kind of, you know, this is, it's worth people having a look at, but, 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 but Wendy has covered these points in the past. So what you do is, before you get your pad and pen and watch or listen to this again, go to Google and type in the following sentence. Scientifically questioning regression to cause used by hypnotherapists by Adam Eason. And you will find his blog from November the 20th, 2017 on adam-eason.com. On there, there will be three other links where he looks at the scientific evidence about reconstructed memory, false memory syndrome, mind raping people, as I'd call it, um, and symptom substitution. If you don't remove the root cause, could it manifest elsewhere? But the vast majority of the things he touches on, we have discussed and Wendy's addressed brilliantly, I may add. But look at that, then come back, watch this again with a notepad and pen in hand, and you'll see how Wendy's addressed those things. And then I strongly suspect that will motivate you to get yourself over to Amazon pronto and order a copy of The Devil's Therapy, Hypnosis Practitioner's Essential Guide to Effective Regression Hypnotherapy by Wendy Weber. And it will look like that when you see it come up. And to also go to Wendy's websites, tribeofhealers.com or devilstherapy.com and grab the free gift and look into uh, the other um, information that's there. Because um, whether you have any intention of using this particular technique or not, it never harms the therapist to have knowledge of other techniques and see how they can influence or make you think differently about stuff that you already do. So I want to thank you for putting up with such a grilling, Wendy. Thank you. You've done an amazing job of answering everything. And, um, yeah, fi fi final words to you. Is there any advice, thoughts, wisdom you want to share with you as our listeners? Oh, my gosh. So many things. 
I well, think you've got, I would li- you've got five, ten minutes maximum. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll be much more brief than that. I think what I most like to say is that, you know, we are not a profession. We call ourselves a profession, but we're not. Um, there are there are so many different approaches and different attitudes. We're not on the same page. We do not, you know, we're not licensed. We we don't have any regulation whatsoever. And I think it's time that you know that we become a profession. That we find a way to come together and to work together. And the and I and I believe in my heart of hearts that the only way that we're going to do this successfully is if we start putting the client at the center of the therapy. There's too many uh, too many approaches that put the therapist at the center. That has to end. That's old school. That's, as you say, you know, Sigmund Freud. That, that needs to end. We need to put the client at the center of the therapy. There are too many approaches that put the technique at the center of therapy. And you find this on the forums. Does anybody have a script for? And what technique should I use? And they haven't even talked to the client yet. It's like, if you haven't done the intake, you will not know how to deal with a client. Put the client at the center of the therapy because the power to create the healing, to create real and lasting change is in the mind of the client. It's not in the mind of the therapist. It's not in the technique or the protocol. It's within that person's own history. And a really skilled therapist can find the way to do that. And you do not need to find the ISE. If you can access the wisdom of the client's own mind, it will show you what you need to eradicate the the, the malfunctioning and, and maladaptive uh, uh, um, survival strategies that have been developed through painful experiences in the past. Let's bring more compassion into the work that we do. Let's be more um, conscientious and more present to the needs of the these these wounded individuals that come into our offices and let's start to work together and support one another instead of you know doing all this infighting and putting each other down let's do the good work because i truly believe that the world needs healing and I believe that we have a technology and and the capability to be the leading edge in the field of healing. I think that in the future, this is where, you know, psychology is going to end up going. They're going to realize we need to do the deeper work. We need to get down into that level of mind that is holding on to the emotions and the memories. And that's where we need to start doing the work. So that's all I have to say about that. Thank you. Awesome, and I couldn't agree more. And it's such a shame. I, you know, it's like eventually they'll discover that. I think it's going to be more of a rediscovering because you mentioned shamanic stuff earlier, and that's just one example. The shamans did soul retrieval stuff, power animal journeys, which were metaphorical in power. Yes. It, 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 why did we lose it all? Who knows? That's an entirely different show, a different debate. Go and check out Wendy's website. The links are below the speaker or uh, video. Thank you, Wendy, for your time. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your honesty. And thank you for your absolutely wonderful uh, answers and um, wisdom that viewers and listeners can learn so much from. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye for now, everybody. We'll see you uh, next week couple of days. It depends. We're in lockdown. We do this more often than normal. But keep an eye on hypnosisweek.com. Bye for now.